I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, former college professor turned manager in a large corporation turned entrepreneur. And not just any entrepreneur. I've made it my life's work to make organizational life more effective and fulfilling. So welcome to Working Conversations, the podcast where we digest and translate research and ideas on workplace dynamics and serve up to you the most interesting and actionable strategies to make your workplace conversations and your relationships more effective, productive, and influential. If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Working Conversations podcast, where we talk all things leadership, business communication, and trends in organizational life. I'm your host, Dr. Janelle Anderson, and in this episode, we're going to take a look at how, in the midst of this great resignation, or great reflection, as I recently heard it called, companies can do better at retaining their top talent so that we can slow this turnover roll. Earlier this week, I was talking with a friend of mine whom I will keep anonymous. We're going to protect the innocent and perhaps the not so innocent in this story. She's in a senior management role with a brand name company that you would have heard of, And she has been in that role less than six months. She's just finished performance evaluations for her employees. And in the process of suggesting the salary increases, merit increases, if you will, and bonuses that her employees should get, she was denied the ability to give the level of raises that she wanted to, to her staff who had been in their roles less than a year even though those very same employees had been promised when accepting their positions that they would be eligible for merit increases when January came around. This is incredibly disempowering for the leaders. It's disempowering for those employees whom those promises were made to. And it is certainly not helping the company's retention efforts. And I wondered, where did this decision come from? And as my friend told me, it came from the top of the human resources leadership area. And I just kind of laughed and said, does she not know that there is a great resignation underway? Does she not know that her job number one right now needs to be maintaining the talent pool that she has? And of course, attracting new talent as well to fill all those vacancies. So we kind of had a good chuckle over it and more of an eye roll sort of chuckle than uh, this is actually funny chuckle. But it inspired today's topic, seven ways to retain top talent in this topsy-turvy time. The first is to respect and give attention to the existing employees. And with so much focus on filling open positions and onboarding all the new hires, it absolutely can be easy to overlook the ones who are staying. Now, if they feel ignored amidst the fury of getting new people in the door and up to speed, well, that underappreciation or lack of appreciation is not going to help you retain them. Instead, keep them engaged. Talk to them. Find out what they want in their careers and their lives. Give them opportunities to focus on their potential and the possibilities that are available to them within your organization. In short, Show them the respect and attention that they so rightly deserve for sticking around. You cannot take them for granted and expect them to stay. So show them the respect. Give them the attention 
They are here with you and you want to keep them. All right, number two. It's somewhat related, but has a bit of a different flavor. Number two is for those folks who are staying, show your gratitude, especially for the ones who are top talent, your high performers or your high potentials. Those are the ones that are the biggest risk for your organization. So especially for that top talent, talk about it. Tell them that you're grateful that they're not leaving. Ask what they love about their job or what they love about the company. Take an interest in them. And really, in doing so, you're going to accomplish at least two things. Number one, you're executing on a retention strategy of letting them know that they're appreciated and thus making them less likely to go out and look for something else. And number two, if they are looking or even starting to look for something else, there's a good chance that you will catch on to that. They might tell you explicitly, or you might read their more subtle signals and discern that they're starting to look. And then you actually have a better chance at retention if you catch it early on. Now, I did mention this back in episode 39 when I discussed what we got right in 2021. The companies who are experiencing the least turnover have been gracious with their employees. They demonstrated that gratitude. And as you might have heard me say in that episode, Dr. Bob Nelson, who has studied the psychology of gratitude for decades, notes that when there is a culture of recognition and gratitude, employees on average feel five times more valued than in organizations where there is not a culture of recognition and gratitude. And that is something that's going to keep people around. So strategy number two is demonstrating gratitude for those who are staying. All right, on to number three. (laughs) Number three is pretty easy and straightforward. It's money, the almighty dollar. In this country and in many other countries, money is equated with and practically synonymous with value. If you value your employees, compensate them. You know, Thinking back to that earlier story that I told you about the conversation with a friend of mine who's a senior leader in a large corporation, well, we got to talking about how important money is in demonstrating value and how foolish it is of large organizations like hers to deny her the ability to give that newer person the equivalent of a 1% or 2% raise. That's really all she was trying to do. Now, this might account to $1,000 or $2,000 per employee, but compared to losing the employee, that is nothing. It is a drop in the bucket. According to the Society for Human Resource Management, it costs a company six to nine months of an employee's salary to replace them. Now, for an employee making, say, $60,000 per year, that comes out to $30,000 to $45,000. Now, that doesn't even include the side effects of turnover, such as decreased productivity amongst the ones who stay, knowledge loss, lowered morale, and other incidental costs as well. Those side effects ripple out across the organization and make it even more costly than merely replacing the employee. So the few thousand dollars that my friend wanted to spend in making people feel valued would have gone a long way and have been a very low-cost way to spend some money in the name of retention. So your number three strategy is money, the almighty dollar. The fourth strategy is flexibility. 
Now, don't make the mistake of WeWork's CEO, Sandeep Mathrani, who infamously claimed back in May 2021 that those who wanted to continue working from home were the least engaged. (laughs) That's right. He said that the ones who wanted to come back into the office full-time or most of the time were the most engaged, and those who were the least engaged are the ones who are very comfortable working from home. (laughs) I want to acknowledge that in the event you're not familiar with WeWork, Mathrani's company, WeWork, provides commercial office space, so I do believe he is financially motivated to have people back in buildings, (laughs) but his comments were splashed across the Wall Street Journal and echoed in many other media outlets. And we've also seen many large tech companies like Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, and the like debate what the return to the office plan should look like and how much flexibility there would be. A common refrain from those companies and others in that same tech sector was that employees would be required to come into the office between one and three days per week, working essentially a hybrid schedule. Now, of course, that was before the Omicron variant showed up and delayed everyone's return to office plans. Now, speaking of the hybrid schedule, there is a current prediction circulating amongst some of the futurists and prognosticators that organizations will require a return to office because managing hybrid workers is so darn hard. And it is really challenging. From fairness and equity, to access to you as the manager, to how they're coached on performance issues and professional development, to how leaders like yourselves show up in the work from home or that hybrid work environment. And more, so much more. It's all incredibly challenging. Now, as a bit of a side note, these are all issues that are addressed in my upcoming course called Remote Managing Made Easy. I'll drop a link in the show notes for enrollment information, or you can visit JanelleAnderson.com for more details. But that fourth issue for retention is flexibility. The more flexibility you can demonstrate, the more likely you are going to be to retain that top talent. Number five, fairness and equity. Now, this is related to flexibility, especially as we think about scheduling, but it's also related to diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. It's related to how we care for the planet. It's related to even, you know, moving to an area of the country with a lower cost of living. Now, this debate continues with some organizations wanting to lower wages for those who have moved to areas of the country where the cost of living is lower or threatening to do so if you want to move to a place where there is that lower cost of living. Now, this issue was put in the spotlight last year when Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg said employees who choose to relocate to dramatically lower cost of living or lower cost of labor areas, quote, should expect to be paid less. Now, this is a common practice to do before the pandemic, that is, you know, pay people differently based on where they lived. Employers took into account that an employee in Boston or San Francisco had a much higher cost of living than an employee in Des Moines or Cleveland, and so compensation plans reflected that. But let me tell you, that was a different time. Now people are moving for a multitude of reasons. Some are moving back to where their families of origin are to be closer to grandparents and extended family who can help care for their children because the parents are working from home, and sometimes the children have been 
needing to do school from home or their daycare has been drastically reduced or eliminated. And then, of course, when someone needs to quarantine because of either exposure to COVID-19 or perhaps contracting COVID-19. So if you want to retain those employees, you're going to want to keep their pay consistent if they move. Now, this, of course, will have longer lasting repercussions, to be sure. Once this all shakes out, if you keep your workforce's location relatively agile, meaning remote work and hybrid work play a significant role, and you have that work from anywhere kind of policy, then you will need to address that pay equity issue as it relates to cost of living. But for right now, it is way too soon to do that, especially in this labor market. There's too much of a shortage of talent amidst great turnover, and the retention strategy for fairness and equity needs to take that into account, not only for your geographic location, cost of living, as I was just mentioning, but also related to flexibility, related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, related to all all the things. Fairness and equity really need to be paramount in terms of your retention strategy. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. Number six, a shortened work week. Now, Brian Krupp and Emily Rose McRae, who are leaders within the organization Gartner Research, they wrote in a recent Harvard Business Review article that they predict some companies will shorten the work week in their quest to compete for talent rather than to increase pay. And making that an option is certainly going to help retain talent, especially in the case of women leaders who are currently experiencing burnout at much higher rates than their male counterparts. Researchers at McKinsey report that women leaders are 26% more likely than their male counterparts to help employees navigate work-life challenges, and they are 60% more likely to provide emotional support to their employees. And those are in relation to their male counterparts. That's also with them doing a disproportionate amount of work on the home front. A third of working women report doing an additional five hours of domestic work per day on top of their professional role. Now, these managers, who, by the way, are the ones stepping up to be the kind of leaders that companies say they want and need right now, well, these leaders may be very well able to sidestep the burnout that we're seeing if they were working a 32-hour work week rather than a 40 plus hour work week. So shortening the work week is another strategy to retain talent. Strategy number six. On to our last strategy, number seven, human relationships. Allow employees to connect and build relationships with one another and set up structures for them to do so. Lead by example, by connecting with your staff and building relationships with them. Tell them about your efforts to keep your relationships with your peers strong. Now, here are a couple of ways that you can create some structure 
for staff to connect with others. And the first one directly speaks to the idea that it might be a waste of time. So specifically tell your staff, it is not a quote unquote waste of time to talk to their peers about non-work issues. They did all the time prior to the pandemic back at the office. Many of them have forgotten that. And their work relationships run the risk of becoming very transactional. And by transactional, I mean, I need this from you by when and so forth, rather than the, hey, how are you? What's going on? What's new? How was your son's soccer game? How was your mother's recent hip surgery? Where are you going on vacation? Those kinds of things. So we need to get that component, that relational component back in the conversation so that we don't run that risk of everything being very transactional. When it becomes very transactional, then we lose trust and we lose the very foundation upon which the work relationship is built on. Another structure you could put in place would be, you know, something where relationship development is not only encouraged as in it's not a waste of time, but it's actually required. So perhaps coffee break pairs. So what's required of them? 15 minutes, once or twice a month, and the pairs are predetermined. So they just log in, take a look at a spreadsheet to see who their coffee partner is for the month, and they set up their 15-minute coffee date. Another thing that can be done along the same lines as that would be introductory meet and greets with new team members. So mandatory, you know, 10 or 15 minute meetings with new employees so that the new employees get a chance to start doing some of that relationship development and getting to know one another. A third idea for really baking in the idea of creating relationships is doing some intentional team building. Even if it's remote, team building still helps done on a regular basis, at least quarterly, and ideally with a facilitator outside your organization. So a client of mine, she's a CFO in her organization. She does quarterly retreats with her team for half day, once a quarter. So four times a year, that's a total of two days per year. They spend about half of their time talking about business things. So bringing everybody up to speed on some high-level initiatives, changes in the organization, introducing any new employees who have onboarded in that quarter and the like and then part relationship building. And that's where she brings me in. I've been her guest facilitator a time or two during the pandemic, leading the team in um, you know, a fun get-to-know-you activity so that each of the team members gets to know the other team members a little bit better. And like so many, she has had her share of new hires throughout the pandemic, and she herself is relatively new to the organization. So this is a benefit for her to get to know her staff and her existing staff, and likewise for them to get to know one another as well. All right, so that was strategy number seven, focusing more on human relationships as a retention strategy. So here is a quick recap of seven things you can do to retain employees in this time of the great resignation or the great reflection, whichever one you choose to call it. Number one, show those employees who are staying your respect and give them attention. Number two, demonstrate gratitude for the ones who are staying. Number three, throw some money at it. Money equates to value in our culture. Number four, design a flexible work structure. Even once this pandemic is passed, we need to have that flexibility in order to keep people. Number five, fairness and equity in scheduling, in pay, in location, in obviously the diversity, equity, and inclusion dimensions, all of that. 
Number six, a shortened work week. And for some of your staff, that is going to be a killer retention strategy. And number seven, more focus, stronger focus on human relationships. It is not a waste of time to chat with your coworkers. All right, so these are seven key activities, my friends, that you can do in your organizations, especially for those of you who are managers, to retain your top talent in these uncertain times. Again, check out the show notes for a summary of these items, as well as a link to my upcoming course, Remote Managing Made Easy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Working Conversations podcast. We love being by your side and being in your ear, bringing new ideas and research about trends in leadership, business communication, and organizational life. So until next week, my friends, take good care and be well. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations.